Well, good morning. Great to see you today. Good to see your smiling faces, even on a rainy, dreary day, right? And um, by an act of faith, I'm not, or I am here, uh, even though the Masters is on right now. I'd rather be here, I'll admit that. But uh, um, I did check between services who was winning, but some of you appreciate that. Some of you think we're crazy that, that follow that stuff. But one thing I want to teach, I, I want to te- I want to give a teaser about is uh, we're a church that has always in our DNA, um, especially over the last 25 years, has been married to message, not methods, right? We just believe that that uh, message stays the same, methods change, and we are just open to whatever God wants to do or do with us to try to take a message, the message, right? And so um, something that's been percolating in my heart for quite a while, and I think it's the right time to, to, to try one of these. Um, we're going to call it uh, Serve Sunday, May 5th. And the idea is, is that one of our core values is serve. It's built off the idea that Jesus uh, calls his kingdom to be a kingdom that serves one another which we do very well in the life of our church, right? Through um, all the different activities of our church, but also serves the world around us with the uh, ambition of revealing the love of God. A sent God sends people, his people, into the world. And so the idea is on May 5th that at 9.30, only 9.30, so this is the late crew, right? So you're like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm used to my 10.30 time. But at 9.30, we'll come together, the church, spend a few minutes um, just having a prayer, last-minute instructions, and then we're just going to go out into our community for the next hour and 15 minutes or so and just serve our community. Say, so what does that look like? Well, it's a lot of different things, and right now we are putting together all of those things that we will have available to you beforehand so that you can already map out, because I know a lot of you have to map things out, right? You have to know where you're going. Some of you aren't like me and like just show up and say, hey, what are we doing? Um, but the idea is to find maybe those vulnerable in our communities, the widow, the single mom, the, uh, the people, are, and just do things for them around their house, um, uh, the widow who can't get out and take care of her yard, and it's springtime. Just clean it up. Um, uh, serving uh, some of the uh, things I've been in contact with city manager, and he's given me a few options that we will detail. Um, filling home. Some of us can go to the filling home and just do a service there for the filling home. All right? Um, uh, other places like to visit Northcrest and nursing home. People, just saying hi to people, just sharing. Um, if you say, man, I can't get around very well, I'm not, uh, we're going to have stuff going on here where you can come in, and, and especially with families. If you want to, we'll have cookies available. You can bag them up, put, uh, uh, cards will be made, and then your family can go to the fire department, the police station, the, 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 the uh, sheriff's department. And just drop some stuff off. Give them some cards. Tell them you appreciate them. Be thankful for their service in our community. Something that all week long they can look at and they can eat on, right? And um, it's just a way for us to be love in action, right? 
Um, so often I think our communities look at our churches like little country clubs, right? They all come together inside those four walls. We're not sure what goes on in there. Then they come out, and um, wow, it's not a nice little club. Well, we are sent people, and um, we are called to come together, to worship together like this. But I think every once in a while it's just good for us. As a corporate body, instead of all the different ways that we're serving individually in the ministries in our church, to just come together in a concerted effort and go out for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, and serve our community with one goal. That's just to share the love of Jesus Christ. And so um, just heads up on that. That'll be coming. Make your plans. We're making it easy for you where you can go online. If, if, if you're like me, you get to talking to people and you walk right out the building and you forget to sign up for something, right? Because you're talking to somebody. Well, we have made it so easy for you now just to go online, click. You can fill out something. You can sign up for stuff. And that way, when you're thinking about it, when it hits you Wednesday night at 645, you can just go online right there on your phone or your computer and sign up. So just a little teaser. There will be a lot more information coming down over uh, the next week. And um, just wanted to give you a heads up on that. I'm excited about that. Let's pray. And uh, I just invite you through a physical posture to symbolize uh, the heart posture today. Would you, would you reach your hands forward? Lord, we just open our hearts to you in this time. As we begin our week, we come to worship you, to fix, to set our minds and hearts on who you are and what you've done. We want the truths of, of, uh, about you and who you are to lead our lives. And so as we've sung your truth, Lord, and now we open your word, we just pray that you would speak into our lives and lead us, guide us, take us, continue to take us into the life that you've always designed for us to live. One that results in love, peace, joy, purpose, significance, meaning. Do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What does God think? How does God act? What does God look like, so to speak? All through the pages of Scripture, uh, He has started this revelation process of revealing Himself early in the Old Testament, glimpses bits and pieces, and more and more, until it comes to that climactic part uh, of the story, of the plan of God, where He Himself, through His Son, comes into the world and answers the question, what is God like? The complete revelation of God is given to us in Jesus Christ. How does God act? What does God think? What does God feel? Look to Jesus. That's it. And so this series, as we've led up to Sunday, Easter Sunday, we've been taking time to think about and to remember and to open our hearts to these encounters that Jesus had along the way in his life, on his journey to the cross, that are always doing one thing. They are opening our minds into how God thinks, acts, and sees us, and what we can do to connect with him, to live in relationship with him. It's in this encounter these encounters that he has uh, caused to be written for our benefit, 
to say, hey, this is who I am. This is how I feel. This is what you can know. This is what you can believe. This is, you can leave your heart with me. You can trust me. And on and on and on through these encounters, the complete revelation of God to us is in the person of Jesus Christ. We've recognized that though, when you have an encounter with Jesus, you are never the same again. That is who he is. He always affects you. There is no casual relationship with Jesus Christ. It's always one that is called to transform you, to build you up, to draw you closer, to break you free, to to do the design and the purposes of God in your life. It's always that way. And in the encounters in Scripture, we see the good, the bad, and the ugly We see people whose lives are changed and transformed in the beginning of a new life. We see people who reject him and are changed the rest of their lives. We see, but Jesus is a transforming character. One who, when you encounter him, you are never the same. But what we always see, that in any situation, with any encounter, these three words are always true. Jesus is more than enough. More than enough, always. What is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's always more than enough. And so on this Sunday, on Palm Sunday, which I admit to you, I admitted to the first crew, this is not my favorite Sunday to speak. All right? I I probably should just plan that out every year, like make Ken speak every Palm Sunday. Because we're so familiar with the story. And it's so, it's simple, it's grandiose. I've spoke about it for three years now, about how, Really what happens is Jesus' way, of his, it's his orchestration of showing that his plan was in place. And, and, and it's this beautiful orchestration of Jesus to bring people to this Sunday as they're spilling into Jerusalem. As, as uh, 10 years after this date, there was more than 260,000 lambs that were, that were slaughtered at Passover 10 years after Jesus dies and rises again, which in the Jewish life, you slaughtered one lamb for every 10 people. So probably on these, in this season, every year around this time, more than 2 million people are spilling over into Jerusalem. It's packed. It's wall to wall. There's excitement. There's this national feeling, this national holiday, and especially for a people who are enslaved who feel a unique characteristic of being the people of God who had never 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 thought that they should be bound to somebody else they are unique and special they're desperate they're hungry for a savior the messiah that's promised to come out of Roman Roman rule to be the light in the world they were always caused to be and as they come together that's always at the surface that's always and then you have Jesus who is knowing this is the the uh, environment and so he intentionally raises Lazarus from the dead two weeks before just to cause this thing to go to the next level i mean it's like wow this is a guy who can take someone who's been dead for days and rise him he has got to be the one and he he orchestrates this whole event this whole day to make this huge statement but he does it on purpose to build such high expectation because he knows i'm going to disappoint him they don't understand what the mission of god truly is they think I've, they, they want me to come and, and deliver them now. 
But I'm doing the bigger thing. I'm delivering all people for all time from their sins. And they're going to be so excited. And then when I do nothing that they want me to do, when I say things that doesn't make sense to them, when I don't act when they want me to, they're going to be so bitterly disappointed, so disappointed and so angry that they're going to become so frustrated that they're going to say, that guy's an imposter, crucify him. And then what I've always purposed to do is going to happen. You know, Palm Sunday is just a, 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 it's a, it's a picture into the plan and purposes of God, how he so beautifully orchestrates his will. And we've talked about that, and we have kids come up and wave palm branches, and we see this stark contrast before what a king does in this world. Uh, you know, he references in one of the Gospels, um, the Old Testament passage, it talks about like Alexander the Great, who rides into a, a city that he's conquered on a white horse and, and a sword that gleams in the sunshine and he's the mighty conquering king and here comes Jesus proclaiming a kingdom where he is riding on a lowly donkey with palm branches, no swords, no army, just a lowly figure. And it's this contrast of kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdoms of this world. He's making all of these things so clear to us. But you know, as I've been thinking about what's the encounter here, as I've read this story this week, as I've immersed myself again, I, I came across something that I think is really important for us to grab a hold of. And it becomes a springboard for what we con constantly need to understand about what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Remember the story. I'm gonna, I want to read it to you today. In your notes online, there's a, a review of the five weeks before. And so I always, I'm not going to take time today to do that, but to review the five weeks that we've led up to today. But this is the way the story, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives, think two little towns east of Jerusalem, right? There's, there's the eastern wall of Jerusalem. There's the Kidron Valley that goes up to the Mount of Olives. I've stood here and looked into the city and the Mount of Olives where um, uh, Gethsemane was. And, and then there's these two little villages over here, Bethany and Bethpage. They're, they're nothing. They're just small little towns. They're, they're blips on the radar. They're, 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 they're the bedroom community on a state route, right? Just you pass by it, you blink, and wow. And this is where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived, was in Bethany. And they're in Bethany as Jesus is starting this week. And he looks at two of his disciples. And he sends two of his disciples over to the neighboring little village. Go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. No one's ever ridden this. Which is important. And again, we see that God is, or Jesus is demonstrating to the world that he is in he is in control of this. He is not a victim of circumstances. He's the one that's actually making all this happen. He's saying, listen, there's a cult there that's never been ridden. And, uh, and that had significance, right? But untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord sends, sends, er, needs it and will, and will send it back here shortly. So they went and found a cult outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying the colt? And they answered, as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. 
Then they, they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. I don't know if mine's working. or Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of, uh, of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And what I've read, you're very familiar with. But have you ever stopped to think about the details at the beginning of that story? Jesus sends two disciples. And this is what he says. Hey guys. I want you to go over to the village you're not very familiar with. The people you probably don't know. And I want you to walk into the street there. And I want you to grab a donkey. I want you to untie it. I want you to take it. And when people stop you and ask you, what are you doing? I want you to look at them simply and say, the Lord needs this. We'll bring it back. Now, I've read over that so many times. But this week, the more I've thought about it, the more I've thought, wow. Would I have done that? Basically, go take somebody else's property. And we know from the story that um, there was multiple owners of this donkey, and so they were poor people who shared their, um, uh, you know, their property. So this was a valuable thing to them. It's like, I'm not, I'm not the guy who has a hundred of these, and if you take one, all right, I'll fill out a police report later, big deal. I'll get it back. Insurance will cover it. No big deal. These are people like, this is super important to me. This is about all I have. In fact, I share this with somebody else. Just so we, have, we don't have enough money to own one on our own. And so you're going to walk into my street, to my house, and untie my donkey and take it. Right? Anybody else see this? This is strange. And this is like, are you asking him, God, Jesus, to steal or borrow? But honestly, think about it. What if I showed up somewhere at your house and said, hey, I'm going to take your car? And Jesus told me to take your car. You're going to think I'm a lunatic. I'm going to try it. Steve, I'm showing up. Hey, I'll, I'll be back. Where are you going? What are you doing? What? Jesus says I need this. I don't even know who you are. Like, they didn't know the disciple. What a strange request. And it's detailed in more than one of these gospels. Like, this is a part of the story. And I've been thinking about what is this communicating to me that I need to understand more? Or what can help me? And I realized, these disciples, because if it was me, and he started to tell them what he wanted to do, I'm kind of slipping back in the crowd. You know, I'm kind of, I'm behind Peter and James now. And I'm even getting farther back where I'm behind Matthew and Bartholomew, right? I don't have a criminal record. I'm not interested in spending some jail time. Like, I don't steal. Why are you asking me to do this? Right? It's kind of my posture here. What do these disciples do? Okay. Okay. Can you imagine them walking over there looking at each other and thinking, okay, how's this going to go? I don't know if they had like a 
you distract them and I'll take the donkey plan? Or I don't know. I don't think so, but it probably went through their mind. They went. They did. Because they had grown to a place of implicit trust in what God asked them to do. When Jesus says, do this, even though it seemed a little out of the ordinary, they had an implicit trust in his goodness and his plan and his ability. And they go and do it. And you know what? Sure enough, it does happen. Like they're untying the donkey. I don't know if they're looking around. I don't know how fast they're doing it. Or, you know, if they're like trying to be real nonchalant, act like they're whatever. But people notice, right? You're taking my stuff. What are you doing? The Lord says he needs it. Jesus orchestrated everything. He knew. Again, he's not a victim. He's in control. And he says, all right, take it. We'll bring it back. Okay. This encounter reminds us that the life of a disciple is built on this idea of trust. Every encounter with Jesus is stretching our faith. It's calling us to make a decision. Am I going to trust in him and what he calls me to do and how he calls me to live and what he says I should do and how he leads me to go? Or am I going to shrink back in fear and uncertainty and a lack of confidence in the goodness of God? These disciples remind us of this. In fact, I would remind you that Romans says this. The gospel, the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by what? Faith. From first to last. Just as is written, the life of a disciple, the just, shall live by what? Faith. Faith. You see, faith, here's a little snapshot, and this could be very broad in definition. But faith is simply seeing as God sees. I love what Paul prayed. In Ephesians chapter 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be, you realize your heart does not have eyes, right? This is not some new medical knowledge. You know exactly what he's saying, right? That there's something bigger that is unseen, that is a reality in our world. The life of the unseen. Like we believe in love, right? Has anybody ever tangibly seen love? We see the fruits of love, committed relationships, kind acts, right? Service. But love is something that we don't see, but we believe in. Like it's not a commodity I can go to the store and buy. But love, what does the song say? Love is what we're all, you know. We, and the eyes of our heart is a belief, a trust in, a knowledge of something bigger than what I can touch, possess, feel, consume. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He is calling us to be 
enlightened to understand, to see things that are beyond the physical world. The eyes of my heart to realize that as a spiritual being in a world that is primarily spiritual, even though we live in this physical realm, there are more important, bigger things that are eternal and lasting that are bigger than that. And I pray that in this spiritual world that that, that leads all of our physical actions it's it's dominated by our thinking and then what comes into our mind i pray that you might be enlightened to see i like this this other translation that says i pray that the eyes of your heart will be flooded with light so you can see the wonderful future god has promised you to it's more profound and real than the physical And he calls us as a disciple to live a life led by faith. Go get the donkey. Uh, (laughs) It's not our donkey. How do you know there's a donkey there? How do you know they won't arrest us? How do you know I'm not going to go to jail? Go. Okay. The life of the disciple is a disciple that is led by implicit trust in the words of Jesus. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. See, these disciples model the life that we're to live. When God speaks, as Jesus spoke and called them to do this, the word of God is always calling us to live in a certain way, with a certain mindset, with an understanding of who God is and how he acts and what he thinks, what he wants for our lives. And so when God speaks, we are to live in an implicit trust in what he says, just as these disciples modeled this. You said it, God, it's true. I can trust you. You're good. You know what you're doing. I am going to allow my life to be led by my faith in the words that you gave, not by the circumstances that are around me. Because i got to be honest, I'd have been a little worried about doing that. And it would have been easy to shrink back. I was reminded of this graphic or vivid, graphic might be a bad word, that kind of has a negative connotation, right? Um, A vivid illustration of this in the Old Testament. You remember, God's people end up in Egypt after Joseph ends up there. And over the course of hundreds of years, they become slaves to the Egyptians. That was never God's plan for his people. He wanted a people who had their own land, was their own nation. And so he impresses upon Moses through a burning bush to go and lead the children of Israel out of slavery. You remember, Moses goes hesitantly at first, And then you have these encounters with the Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful person in the world in that time. You remember that Moses says, my people need to be, they need to let my people go, right? Can you guys see Charlton Heston saying that? Let my people go. And the Pharaoh says, no way, man. It's good, cheap, free labor. No way. And 10 plagues later, Pharaoh's finally like, okay, God works in miraculous ways through these plagues. The children of Israel leave. They get halfway, or they get to where they're going, and all of a sudden Pharaoh changes his mind, and his army follows after them, and they come up 
and they're sandwiched between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, and they're right here. And you remember the story of the Red Sea crossing where God opens the seas and they cross and Pharaoh arrogantly follows after and the seas shut and he is destroyed and his army. And then they're on this trek toward what was called Canaan. This land God had promised them. For about two years it takes them to get to that place that crossing place called Kadesh. And they get there, and this is it. He's led us this far. He's done remarkable things. Fire by night, cloud by day, manna from heaven. All these remarkable things. God's got a plan, a purpose. And you remember, they get to to that crossing point. Moses decides to send 12 spies into the land on a reconnaissance mission, right? Let's see what's going on there. What are we up against? What do we need to know? I've thought about this. I don't know if he should have sent spies or not. If it was a lack of trust, but he did. And what happened was um, the 12 go in, they come back. All 12 of, 12 of them agree. It is a remarkable land. It, is, it, is, it flows with what? Milk and honey. For those who are lactose intolerant, that's not good. The milk part. Unless it's almond milk. I can drink almond milk. But the honey, I'm I'm good. I like that. Milk and honey. It's it's lush. We're gonna live in style here. They're all agree it's a great land. But ten continue the conversation when they say, but there are fortified cities there. And there are giants that exist there. And I don't think that we are going to be able to overtake those cities and defeat those giants. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, no, no. Are you guys crazy? Didn't, weren't you at the Red Sea? The most powerful army in the world just was destroyed by the hand of our God. This is nothing. Why are you scared of a local tribe? No, no, no. We can do this. Ten. We're fearful. They drew back. And the, they gave a bad report. It became the majority report. Just a reminder that the majority report in our world is mostly always negative. It's always wrong. And they convinced the whole people to not cross. Did they not? And here's what happened. I want to read through that because I want you to see that in this pivotal moment, God's always calling his people to trust in him, to live with an implicit trust. Just as those two disciples, go get a donkey that's not yours and take it. Okay, I trust you. It's the same core thing for all of us. These people, this is what he's promised. This is where he wants me to go. Am I going to do it? They decide to see through eyes of Fear instead of faith. But there are giants. And this is how it rolls in, in Numbers 13. And, and this is what I would say. Seeing with fear causes us to exaggerate our difficulties. Listen to this. The spies came back. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us. 
And it does flow with milk and honey. Here's, some, here's the fruit of it. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. They continue to say, but the men who had gone with them said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Living with eyes of fear takes our difficulties and we begin to exaggerate them. You know what this is. It's like last Sunday for me, right? I, I'm leaving my house. I see a strange car. It played on my fear. Somebody nefarious is in my neighborhood. And all of a sudden, I begin to have this, this scenario play out in my mind. And it just began to, fear does this. It just snowballs. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. If you guys got up here and talked about some of the things that you've created in your own mind and the fears you've had, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. They exaggerate the difficulty. Because guess what? Later on in the book of, in the word of God, we read that when they did finally cross into the land after 37 years of wandering in the wilderness, that the people who were in the land were fearful of them. They actually admitted that if you would have showed up, we would have surrendered. Because we had heard reports of how your God had defeated the mighty Pharaoh. And we were scared to death. In fact, for the last 37 years, we have been waiting for the day you came over because we knew we're toast. But see, they exaggerated their difficulty. And come to find out these people of Anak, the uh, Anakins, right? Um, They were of the tribe of Skywalker. The force was with them. Oh, that's the wrong story. These giant people were actually very gentle. They weren't even the warriors of the land. They weren't fighters. They were lovers. They were just big people. You see how they exaggerated the difficulty because they saw through eyes of fear. They lost sight of the goodness and the ability of God. And we can't go in there. You see, eyes of fear exaggerate difficulties continue to think about this i would tell you that seeing through the eyes of fear makes us underestimate our god-given abilities listen as the story just continues we saw uh, these descendants and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them how did they know that they didn't know what these people thought But they thought they were like grasshoppers. And so then they projected on what everybody else thought about them. Does that sound familiar? But when you live by fear, led by fear, seeing life through eyes of fear, you begin to lose sight of just the capability that God has given you in your own life. These are the people that have seen and done miraculous things through God's power. And yet, 
All they can see is in their eyes of fear. They lose sight of who they are and they begin to think they're, they're grasshoppers. Seeing with fear causes us to get discouraged. You continue reading. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Watch this descent. Seeing with fear makes us start to gripe about our lives. They get discouraged. Verse 1, they're crying all night. Verse 2, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and said to them, if only we had died in the Egypt or in this wilderness. And then it leads them to this. Seeing with fear causes us to eventually give up and blame God. Look at verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to have us fall by the sword? Our wives and children are going to be taken and plundered. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Do you see the eyes of fear where they take us finally to a point where we give up and we blame God? All the while, it wasn't even true. It wasn't reality. God calls his people. You remember how he responded to them? When they decided not to go in? I will tell you, there's, there's not, well, from the scriptures, we see that when people who have experienced the power of God shrink back from continuing to trust him, God gets very frustrated. And he says, all right, have it your way. You don't want to cross over? Well, you're just going to live in the wilderness for 37 years. Doing nothing, going nowhere, having no purpose, living the mundane, nothing. In fact, all of you of the generation of these spies, you're not even going to make it to the promised land. You are going to perish in the wilderness because I have already displayed to you so powerfully my power. You should be trusting in my goodness and my plan and my ability, and yet through fear, you shrink back. In fact, they say these words, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? You know, Egypt was familiar to them. It was slavery, but it was familiar. And that's what we so often are tempted to do. We are tempted when God calls us to live a life that looks different than the world around us, that... Um, uh, calls us to sometimes make tough decisions that uh, everybody else is looking at and saying, why are you doing that? Why are you raising your kids that way? Why do you spend your money that way? Why do you live like that? Why don't you do this? Why don't you cut a corner here? Why don't you do, why, why, why? We're so tempted so often to look around and say, it's so easy to just slip into the familiar, comfortable, everything around us. And yet the people of God are called to be people who live by faith. By faith. And I just want to remind you of this before we go. Seeing with faith shrinks my problems. Genesis 18, Abraham and Sarah. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's any Luke that he would say this, for no word from God will ever fail. Nothing is impossible with God. And he calls you as his disciples to live with a faith-filled mindset. 
that internalizes and it puts at the center of who we are that there is nothing too hard for God. No word from God will not fail. Okay, God, you're speaking into my life, asking me to live this way, asking me to do this thing, asking me to walk in this path. <laughs> now, I believe that if you ask me to do this, to live this way, to be this person, that you are going to accomplish it in my life. Seeing with faith not only shrinks my problems, but seeing with faith opens doors for miracles. Later on in this Mark 11, this Palm Sunday, Jesus is going to teach uh, a little bit later on Holy Week. And this is what he said. Have what? Faith in God. This is what we're talking about. I truly tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that, that, what, they, what, that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I am telling you, in our modern culture um, that is increasingly um, buy, buying into the ability and the sufficiency of man, we trust in our ability through technology, through sciences, through productivity, that we have lost sight of a God who does supernatural things. And we don't even entertain sometimes. Maybe I should ask God to do something supernatural in this situation. And yet all the while, the people of God or people of faith who believe that nothing's too hard for him, his word will never fail, and that when I'm faced with seemingly insurmountable circumstances, that God is the one who can make a way, can remove the mountain, can do things that when you look back in your life, the only explanation is that was that's what he's always done. These people are going to walk into Jericho in about 50 years or 40, 41 years, and they're going to walk around a city, not fight, and win over this huge fortified city because God wanted it always to be one explanation. It has to be God. And in your life and in my life, there are times where all our lives, it's got to be the grace and mercy of God. But many times when we face hardship, trials, griefs, uh, insurmountable circumstances, we need God to just come through. He is calling us as his people to lead, lead lives led by faith and trust in his ability and his capability. He says, listen, have faith in God. Say to this mountain, be removed in the sea. And it will be done for you. Third thing, seeing with faith moves God to unlock his promises. 2 Corinthians 1, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are all what? Yes, in Christ. Faith is this, this way that moves and unlocks the promises of God in our life. Seeing with faith gives me power to hold on through tough times. Remember what Paul said? He faced this life, we face this life. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. The only way that you and I ever make it through tough times, not giving up, staying strong in the faith, staying strong in our hope in Christ, is to allow our lives to be led by faith. 
And this, these two disciples remind us that as disciples of Jesus, we are called to be led by What does that mean for you? I'm not sure. The Holy Spirit knows. He speaks into your life today. But so often for us, we are in this tension of God's word is calling us to a life that's dependent on him, that that sees and knows his goodness, that allows his ways to become our ways. And sometimes it doesn't seem like it's going to work. Sometimes it seems like other people are going to get ahead. Sometimes it seems like maybe if I don't do this right now, um, I'm not going to get to experience this. Instead, he calls us to live a life that is based on his word, that trusts in his word, that what he says he will do and how he calls me to live will become, it will make sense. It becomes fulfilling and blessed. Yet we live in that tension. Am I going to step out and let my life be led by faith? Or am I going to see eyes through eyes of fear? And these simple disciples in this story of Palm Sunday, go get a donkey, okay? Because they had learned that implicit trust in Jesus is the best way to live. That's the life of the disciple, is implicit trust. When God speaks, I respond. I would remind you that Joshua, one of these spies, he became the leader after Moses. Joshua had faith, it was obvious. But God, when he starts to speak into Joshua's life in Joshua chapter 1, he begins his conversation this way, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. I just need you to be strong and very courageous. He'd speak for a little bit and then he'd say, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. I just need for you to be strong and be courageous. He'd talk for a little bit more and then the third time he said, Joshua, have I not told you? Be strong. Take courage. Be courageous. And this life led by faith calls for us to do one thing, to take courage, to be strong in the plan, in the ability, in the power of God. To cling on to, to hold on to. God says, it's true. I'll follow. I'm committed to him. He'll take care of it He doesn't call you to be strong enough to do this. He just calls you to take courage, be strong and courageous in believing and trusting in him. To not be moved, to not be shaken. To stay right there and say, God, I trust you. I'm depending on you. Be strong. Take courage. The life of the disciple is a life led by faith. And that faith calls for each one of us to have a strong, courageous faith in God's ability. I invite you to stand this morning and let's just sing as we go. It's this little chorus.
I pray the Holy Spirit will speak into your life where maybe you've settled for the familiar. Maybe you know God's calling you to trust Him in an area of your life. He calls us to be led by faith. He promises unbelievable blessing for those who live by faith. The nature of our relationship with Him is one of dependence and trust on Him, and He's calling you to make that bold, firm commitment to trust Him, to be led by Him. Would you sing these words as a prayer this morning? Take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. And hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds. He's never failing. He's never failing. Take courage. So take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. And hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds. He's never failing. He's never failing. One more time. Come on, take courage. Take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. Hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds. He's never failing. He's never failing. Father, we remember this day. All that happened on this day we celebrate, but it's in the details of two disciples who wholeheartedly do what you ask them to do that epitomizes the life of what it is to be a Christ follower, to be led by faith and implicit trust in Jesus and his words. Make this a reality in our heart. Grow us in this way. Continue to break us free from the bound, the the chains of fear and uncertainty that would want to cause us to balk, to hesitate at what God wants to do in our lives, the powerful things, the purposes He has for our lives. Human nature wants to shrink back, and yet the people of God are people who go forward led by faith in God. He's able, He's capable. We believe. Make this our story, we pray in Jesus' name.